This Photography News podcast is sponsored by MPB. There's never been a better time to make good use of your kit. Inspire others, make some extra cash and make a difference. Sell your used kit today at mpb.com forward slash sell and let someone else love it as much as you have. On this episode of the Photography News podcast, Canon EOS R3, Fujifilm GFX 50S Mark II and Photography Room 101. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Photography News podcast. We are officially in our 30s. This is episode 30. Um, I hope you've been with us since the first one. But if, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. My name is Roger Payne. I'm the editorial director at Photography News. And in light of the fact that we are recording on a day when it is absolutely pouring down with rain, at least where I am anyway, I thought I would introduce my two colleagues and ask them to explain their best bad weather story when it comes to photography, where they got their very best picture in bad weather. So let me start because uh, looking at the frowns, I will jump first of all to editor of Photography News, Mr. Will Chung. Hi, Will. Hi, Raj. Hi, Kingsley. And hi, listeners. I hope how, we're all how well. How are you doing, Will? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's freezing and it's raining here too, Roger. And I've actually got, believe it or not, <laughs> in mid-September, I've got the heating on. It's freezing here. <laughs> so I'm a, I have no doubt, Will, that you can instantly regale us with a number of stories about when you were out in terrible weather and managed to get some good images from it. So um, have, have you got one that you can pluck from the top of your head? Well, actually, it takes me back to the very first Photo 24 we held in London. Mm-hmm. You know, the 20, Photo 24 event, for listeners who don't know, is a 24-hour photographic festival which we started on Advanced Photographer originally, now in Photography News. But the first one took, took place in 2013, if memory serves. And it was great because it's basically a 24-hour shoot in London with readers. And hopefully uh, next year we'll have something again on the, on the same lines. But anyway, the first one was in London. And I remember, I think you were there, Rog, and um, I had organised various events for readers during the 24 hours, as you would expect. And I planned and this was, bearing in mind, this was in the middle of June, I planned for a sunrise shoot on Westminster Bridge. So uh, on this leaflet that we handed out to all the participants of Fellow 24, I said, quarter five, Westminster Bridge, sunrise. Typically, come about four o'clock, it started raining, and it started raining quite hard. In fact, it's very similar to what it is right now. It started raining very hard. And I, I think some of the team went back to the hotel for a couple of hours with shut eye before the event later on that day. And I said, well, I'm not going back because on, on this leaflet I've got, it says sunrise shoot, Westminster Bridge, quarter to five, even in the rain. So anyway, I went down there. It was very wet. There, were, there was no light uh, night tube at the time. So I had to walk down to Westminster Bridge, got completely soaked. And I waited on the bridge. Obviously, nobody turned up because all, all our readers were far too sensible. But anyway, my best picture of that year came when I was looking across to Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament, and there were a couple of lads walking towards me. And it was pouring down with rain, like I said. And I remember there was a London taxi going past, a London bus going past, and these two lads in the pouring rain with the palaces, Palace of Westminster behind with Big Ben and all the rest of it. It made for a lovely shot. Everything just fell oh. into place. So even though in the pouring rain, I got the best picture of the year because of it. So that's well, my. There we go. So I could well, go well for ages well my way. <laughs> I remember it very well, though. Excellent, and obviously perseverance won the day there. So moving on, 
who the two contributing editor Kingsley Singleton, who seems to still be scratching his chin and wondering whether he's taking pictures in good <laughs> bad weather. Hello, Kingsley. Hi, hi. How are you doing? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. Are you are you able to uh, fashion a story of when you've been out in bad weather and managed to uh, get some great pictures, or shall we just move on? I was just well, I was struggling a bit, and then a couple of things came to mind. But I, I, to be honest, I think it made my brain work a bit harder than it should be. I felt like the fan was about to come on. Um, <laughs> but um, the two, well, actually, two things occurred. To me. One of them occurred to me just as as, as Will was um, was um, was delivering his uh, story there, and that was to do with a picture that I took when the first time I went to New York, and we were caught in a rain storm and basically it was a, like a picture taken out of a, a cab window as as we passed like a kind of a, a, a what do they call them a cross section intersection in america um actually as, as a digression do you know that the americans call roundabouts traffic circles yeah i mean they uh they, <laughs> i've never they, seen a roundabout in america i've never they, seen one in america they think roundabouts a hilarious name but i think traffic circles is, is just so depressingly literal anyway um it was a nice picture that i took out it was raindrops on the window headlights on that sort of thing you know um in this rainstorms you know uh, manhattan disappearing into the distance um so that 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 was a good one and then the other one that kind of occurred to me was that um it goes back to the discussion we had last time about long exposure photography at the at the coast um and it was again it's this picture that i took with a with a bit of welder's glass on a very drab day in hunstanton and um, I stuck that up um, on Instagram the other day, and that's ended up being my most liked picture. Um, so yeah, and that that was a that that was a you know it wasn't I mean, it was raining on and off I think, but it was very grey and bleak and you know looking around. It was. I remember the day. I remember the day where we picked it for the bad weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, r- rather than being some sort of torrential storm or something, that 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 was just incredibly drab. Um, but well, you know, that, it, indeed, indeed. So the moral of the story here is that even if the weather's terrible, like it is now, and the rain seems to have only intensified while we've been chatting, uh, don't rule out the possibility of getting great pictures. So go on, Kingsley. Well, can I? I, I wanted to know if you'd done a uh, one. Well, no, I'm not an idiot. I go home when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> You're just in the pub, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Actually, no, I do recall. I do recall one, um, which is worthy of mention which is um, I had a I was doing a test uh, for a manufacturer of medium format cameras. And I actually had, I would say, probably the thick end of about a quarter of a million quids worth of medium format cameras in my possession and in the boot of my car. And I was asked to go and shoot a comparison image using all of these different medium format cameras. And I had Hasselblad's, uh, Fujifilm cameras, all sorts of stuff, phase one, the lot. And I picked the day to go into Norfolk, drove into Norfolk, and uh, it was completely overcast and really quite dreary. I'd found a location that I wanted to to shoot from, and it was overcast, and I was thinking, this is going to be an absolute disaster. I don't know what I'm going to get. Um, drove there in under the cover of night because I was going for an early morning shoot. And uh, literally within about 10 minutes of me turning up, and uh, the sun rising it turned out to be the most spectacular day and i don't know if any of you know uh the white horse in brancaster yep. i went there afterwards for the, for breakfast and sat out on the veranda and it was just absolutely blue sky beautiful so um the the photographic gods were definitely uh, were definitely shining on me yeah. that day 
Anyway, moving on, blimey, we've got a load to get through in this latest uh, in this latest podcast, so we need to move on apace. So, gentlemen, why don't we discuss quickly what we have been photographing recently? I will I will actually kick this off because uh, it's unusual for me to have actually gone out and done that much photography of late because I've been moving house. But amazingly, I, I listened to some advice from Will on the last podcast um, yeah. and I went out and bought myself a lens converter to, to shoot with legacy lenses on my Fujifilm XC4. I think I mentioned last time around that I'd found a, a little woodland on my dog walk uh, in my new area where I'm living now. And so... As part of moving house, I'd unearthed some old Canon FD lenses and I thought, right, well, there we go. So as I as Will had instructed, I went on to a well-known online retail shopping site. And within a day, I had a 25 pound lens converter, which I stuck on and away we go. And it's been it's been good fun. Bit of manual focusing, manual exposure, all rather pleasant, really. And how, have you found the kind of the what I suppose people would call the mirrorless benefit? to that in, insofar as you know you can expose perhaps a little bit easier through live view and stuff like that definitely that i mean what i have realized is obviously you know you you very quickly realize how much how much better a modern camera is you know when you have to manually focus and change the aperture manually and, and all this sort of stuff and uh you know and and uh obviously manually expose stuff it, it does it does add an extra layer of process into the whole picture taking thing but um no it's quite fun and, and i've discovered that my 50 mil f18 canon fd lens is um is actually still quite sharp comparing you know for the uh considering how old it is i also have a sigma 75 to 300 mil apo lens which is an old one you might remember them with the sort of matte finish on the lens barrel and that's got a rather spectacular growth of some sort of fungal thing inside it, which uh, is actually adding to the uh, the aesthetic of the images it's producing rather nicely well yeah pe people pay good money for stuff like that people download <laughs> yeah. packs sort of stuff to make it look like they're shooting through a, a, a fungusy lens so yeah yeah indeed indeed so yeah so it's all it's all been for for the uh, a few quid it's all been in quite a lot of fun and uh, I might get bored of it, but hey, it's it's been quite entertaining. But enough about me. Will, what what have you been doing? You've been you've been on travels again, I believe. Um, I've been lucky enough to get around a little bit, which has been rather fun. I had a meeting the other day in Brighton um, with uh, the sponsors of the pod, actually MPB, who are based there. I had a meeting with them and a nice lunch, but I decided to stay overnight so I could take some pictures of Brian's peers. I mean, I've got a peer project, as many listeners might know. But I haven't really done much on the West Pier, which is the one which is all derelict, because my project is about working piers. But I spent the um, a very nice few hours there, actually. The the light wasn't great in the evening, but um, I carried on photographing into the night and then got up relatively early the following day, got some pictures in the morning. So that was, that was rather fun. So I got some nice stuff from Brighton Pier, West Pier, I hope. And also, I, I mentioned in my column in the issue, which is out next week, and we, we're talking now in the middle of September, so 92 is a mention of this particular thing. But I was talking about dragonflies in that column because these, um, you know, these beautiful beasts, I've never tried photographing them in flight before. But I thought, what the hell, I will try photographing them in flight. So I've been, um, I've been shooting a lot of pictures of bits of sky and bits of water and bits of reed, free of any <laughs> dragonfly. Um, but I've managed to get a few shots as well. So I've been to two things, Rog, a bit of scenic and a bit of... Um, action photography actually but within so, so with the 
with the uh, with the dragonflies, Will. I mean, that is a that is a, a a pretty stiff challenge, I would imagine. Are you um are you manually focusing, or are you leaving the focus to the to the camera to try and capture them? To be fair, I'm experimenting, Raj, and doing a bit of both. And sometimes I, I use AF, and I, the, the the camera neither gets it, and then I I tweak it manually. Other times I've used gone completely manual, and other times I've gone completely auto. Now, just to explain, the things with dragonflies, some of them just don't stop. I mean, they whiz around the whole time, and they're amazing flyers. You ever watch them? They're incredible flyers. Some will land on leaves, some will land on fences, and some will hover. And the one I found, which I think is called a southern hawker, don't get me, you know, don't make no mistake, I'm not an expert on insects, but I think it's a southern hawker. And what that does, it kind of hovers for maybe three or four seconds at a time. Right. So what you try and do is, I mean, what I've been doing in the local nature reserve is standing there, um, not in camouflage or anything, just standing in the, in the green coloured shirt, more often that's so kind of blend into the background, I hope. And you kind of find the tra- dragonfly's territory and it'll hover around its ter- territory, patrols its territory to protect it from fellow dragonflies, I guess. And you kind of get an idea where it's going to stop and hover. And as soon as you stop and hover, obviously I've got a long lens on the camera, I pick it up and I try and get the focusing point or the focusing zone on the bug. Sometimes it locks on, sometimes it simply doesn't. And then, of course, when you get some of the lock, you focus, you just rattle off as many frames as you can. And literally these things only hover for, for a matter of seconds. And even, even if you go early in the morning, it's, it, they don't hang around for long. Mm. Um, but I've got a few shots. I'm out, I've, I came back the other day after an hour. I did 800 frames in an hour. I mean, that's quite a lot of pictures in an hour. Of which, How many of were course, sharp? <laughs> well, remarkably, um, I would say maybe 200 were sharp. Wow. which is actually quite a good hit rate. I'm not saying, by the way, these pictures are any good or award winners, but there is a degree of sharpness in those pictures, which I was quite okay. pleased with. I was going to say sharp on the background. Like not. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing about these macro. I mean, you find out, uh, basically, when you when you start doing this sort of thing, you find out how little some lens designers and camera makers know about photographing dragonflies, which I know is a very specific interest. But, yeah. you know, for instance, you know, you mentioned how the lens focuses on the background, which actually often they, it does. And what you want, of course, is some sort of way of controlling how much the lens goes focusing towards the background. Now, interestingly enough, one of the cameras I've been using, the Fujifilm XS10, you can actually customise the focusing range. And that mm-hmm. kind of works. But I've been also using my, my Nikon Z7, and that doesn't do that. And yes, I've got loads of pictures of the background. <laughs> but I have to say, it's really good fun. I mean, it's um, it's a satisfying way to spend an hour or so, which is all I do, because after I get bored, because it is so frustrating. But I've got one or two quite good shots. And then what I do is obviously post something on our Insta account so, so listeners can see what I've been doing. On on that, the, the idea of like getting to know those kind of subjects. I interviewed a guy some years ago um, who, who was very good at shooting dragonflies. And, then, and during this interview, he told me that he'd been going to this particular spot for about three years like and, and he, he reckoned that the, the the i mean you know i doubt this is actually true but he reckoned the insects were actually used to him by that point which you know, I, i'm not sure that's can is even possible but like it shows the dedication that's required to kind of you know to deal with 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 those kind of difficult subjects i mean in any kind of wildlife subject i guess so well, the things with these dragonflies i mean i've been doing one which is relatively simple so people who are diehard dragonfly photographers will go someone hawk a piece of cake why don't you try <laughs> photographing a an emperor, for instance, because they don't seem to stop. They just 
and they don't seem to have a regular pattern of flight and they, don't, they literally don't hover i mean i'm not i'm not there yet i'm not sure i'll ever be there i just don't have the hand-eye coordination at all for that sort of work but one thing is fun yeah, anyway good good well talking of dedication kingsley you've been you've been dedicating every day to some lengthy walking have you not over the last few uh, over the last few days <laughs> oh yes um i'm doing a prostate cancer uk challenge called march the month which basically involves um walking a minimum of 11,000 steps every day which in a way doesn't sound like a whole lot but it's more like the problem is kind of packing it into like a regular day you know and you realize that you because you've kind of got to walk for like at least about two hours i'd say to do that mm. and sometimes you'll you know you'll you'll get out and and have a look at your kind of i've got one of these watches that counts your steps kind of thing and you're only up to like four thousand and you feel like you've been going for quite a long time but yeah that's kind of do you know and I, I'll, I'll put a link to that if, if any kindly pn readers want to uh join me in the good fight against prostate cancer not just in Indeed. the uk but you know generally prostate cancer <laughs> <laughs> and um, you've been taking your camera out with you as as well i believe is that at the, at the i have I've, I've been trying to document that partly um because it's a good opportunity and you know, partly because i've been going out sometimes quite early in the morning or late at night to try and get the steps in um and all, but also kind of because you you like as is the modern way you feel like you need to keep talking about this on social media and, and keep getting donations and stuff and i felt like well obviously that's the way to do it isn't it that you would kind of you know you would be able to put up some pictures so i've been putting up some pictures of you know my dogs and you know early morning landscape type things um yeah and so you know it's 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 been quite um it's been quite illuminating in a way it's sort of it, it's got me out there that's kind of the one I'm pretty sure I looked at the pictures that you'd posted on social media. I'm pretty sure on one of them, your dog is wearing your watch. And actually all it had done, you'd made it run around in the park. And that's where the 11,000 steps came from. If only, if only it were that simple. <laughs> so anything else photographic, Kingsley? Or have well, you been... Uh... Yeah, I also kind of, I also volunteered my time in shooting a, a local diversity festival um, where I live, where um, there was kind of food and bands and stalls of people selling things and stuff. And that, that was a really fun day um, and, you know, a, a, a good cause because they, they were trying to promote, you know, the idea of people living together, you know, with with pleasant interactions, which is, which is uh, you know, no, no bad thing. And um um, one of the nice things about that was it, it was a good range. So I kind of got to shoot the kind of the crowds and some of the people that are running the stalls, so like a, different styles, and, and also shot some of these bands that were playing. Um, and um, it was a particularly good band. Um, one one of whom, I mean, they, they were all good, but like there was a like a, an Eastern European band called Muha M U H A, um, who I thought were brilliant. And like this, this might have been partially to do with the fact that I hadn't been to see any live music for like. You know 18 months to two years or whatever it is you know so it might have been the kind of the the um you know the, the man walking through the desert with the you know the, the greatest drink you'd ever had was the one that you were you you know that you'd been kind of thirsting for but like i know gen genuinely i thought they were really great and i, I took so i took a lot of pictures of them um cool. and felt like i'd done a good thing which is yeah. you know which i think you know for photographers a lot of photographers do that don't they a lot of photographers will volunteer their time for good causes which is you know which is a really valuable way to use the skills that you've built up indeed indeed lots of top photography chat there which is really good um moving on 
we've had a, a quite an active few weeks in terms of product launches. In fact, only only very recently, in the last couple of hours, did we get information, Will, about the new EOS R3. We were discussing this just before we uh, we started recording, and I understand that it's now been confirmed that this is a 24 megapixel camera with a stacked sensor. 24 megapixels doesn't sound like very many to me in this modern day and age. What What's your immediate thoughts about it, Will? Well, the, the thing is, Rog, I mean, you know, you're right in the way in that uh, 24 megapixels isn't a great deal. But the thing is, Canon has stressed that this camera is for news and sports photographers. So shooting raw and processing a hell out of a picture is not something they generally tend to do. So 24 megapixel is plenty for them, more than enough. And it's all about speed, this camera. Um, I mean, Canon, I had a, I had a chat with the, basically I had a chat with the, the Canon guy the other day, pre-launch, this is just kind of a, a briefing where he ran me through, through some of the key features of the of the camera. And of course, it's all over the internet now. But as you mentioned, the um, the 24 megapixel resolution is, is one thing. It's also got IBIS, uh, in, in-body image stabilization, with an EV benefit, which is very similar to the, um, to the EOS 5 and EOS 6. It's got an electronic shutter, top speed, 64,000th of a second. Whoa. And it's got flashing <laughs> with the electronic shutter, which obviously follows the, uh, the Sony A1 with that. Um, you can shoot up to 30 frames per second with the uh, electronic shutter with exposure and AF tracking. I mean, it's got a whole bunch of features, Roger. I mean, obviously, I haven't had a chance to, um, to get hands on. And in fact, the timing of it is such that uh, the photography show is next week, the NEC show. So I'll be going along there and hopefully grabbing it and doing a little preview on it if I possibly can. But it looks a beast. It's um, it's not cheap, as you might as you might expect. You know, it's nearly £5,900 for the body only. But it's got some fascinating features, and including one feature, which um, was talked about because it kind of had been drip-feeding us this info over the last few months. But he talked about this eye detect auto-focusing, and that looks interesting. And um, interesting in that it doesn't, as some people thought it might do, when you look through the camera lens, once you've calibrated it and you, you put your eye to the viewfinder, people thought the focus point would move as your eye moved around the around the viewfinder. Well, it kind of does that, but it kind of doesn't. What it seems to do is when you look through the camera viewfinder, what it what the system does with your eye, it acquires a subject. So the example they used was two motorbikes racing side by side. So if you picked up the camera, put your, your eye to the viewfinder, it's calibrated in the shooting conditions, you look at, let's say, the biker on the left-hand side, the camera then picks it up, so it acquires the, the biker on the left-hand side. Then you touch a shutter button, and what the camera then does is track that biker. So at this point, this is what I'm hearing, if your eye then moves elsewhere, it doesn't matter, but the camera keeps focus on that biker. Now, if you wanted to switch to the other biker, what you have to do is release the shutter button, look at the other subject, and the camera would then acquire the other subject. Then you lock focus, and it follow focuses on the other subject. So that looks really quite surprisingly good, actually. I mean, from the example I saw. But let's see. I mean, early days, obviously very early days. We were discussing this before we started, and Kingsley, you had a you had a, a slightly different belief about how that system worked, did you not? The uh, the uh, the eye detect autofocus. You thought it was slightly more sophisticated than that. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I guess the impression that I got from it was that it 
was that you know if you as you moved your eye around the view that you were getting through the viewfinder that 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 you know that a little reticule would follow your pupil around yeah and then you know which i mean the thing is i, I guess that's not too far from what will is describing no. it's just it, it's more that that is then aligned with a sort of a a, a way that you would then lock on and then it would stop you know doing that like so it's not like your yeah. own eye has to follow the subject it's more like you're pointing out where you want it to be and then letting the camera take over is that right will yeah i think so you're not too far off the mark it's just that um you know i think once you look in where you want it to be the focus point and then lock onto it that's where it stays it then doesn't then as far as i understand it if mm. you're right then wanders around the focus point doesn't wander around with it so it's just a, a way of acquiring af very very quickly it seems right. I mean, I, I suppose what I what I always take from these things is is not is not the fact that everyone's going to rush out and buy like a six thousand pound camera to get. It. It's more like the fact that in two or three years, all of that stuff is going to be accessible, isn't it? To you know, on whatever the the current mid range body is going to be, or or, or, yeah. or certainly you would hope. Well, yeah. absolutely, and I mean, can it distress? This is for news and sports pros. Mm -hmm. You know, not for Joe Bloggs on the street. Although having said that, we know Joe Bloggs on the street. We'll, we'll buy this thing because it looks quite a beast. It's also interesting that, that, to note that um, they've given themselves room for an R1 in time, because one thing again, again, the guy from Canon stressed was that although this R3 is rugged, it's very quick, it's it's, um, it's got amazing features. It's not built in the same to the same level as EOS One series, the DSLR series, which are you know as we both know or know that they're, they're built like tanks. Those cameras. So maybe we'll see an R1 in due course with all these features, but also then, you know, really, really solidly built. But I think for people, the photographers who are using this sort of kit, who are using EOS 1 right now, you know, they can migrate to the mirrorless R3 um, very smoothly because they've designed it so that, you know, the whole thing, the, all the controls are mirrored. So, you know, if the shutter button and the, the focus lever is on, on the EOS 1 is in a certain position, it's in the same position on the R3. They've even got some sort of optical viewfinder simulation mode so that if you're, you know, you're so used to using mirrors, looking for a mirrorless camera is very weird that they, they've got this feature. But how that works, I have no idea. Interesting. But you're going to be, Will, you're, Will, you're going to be getting hands on with that camera at the photography show, as you say, in the next uh, in the next week or so. And uh, you'll be putting that uh, some comments up on the. Uh, online and no doubt in the next issue of the uh, magazine so the uh, the best place to go for all of that as and when it lands is the photography news the website which is photographynews.co.uk um, now also while we're still talking about new launches similarly reasonably uh, pricey for some but um, actually a lot cheaper than the uh, the eos r3 is fujifilm announced the new medium format gfx 50s2 and Will, you were lucky enough to go and get hands on with that down at, uh, at the launch in London and believe that you spoke to uh, a member of the Fujifilm team about it. Yeah, it was, um, it was a really strange experience because it's the first time for 18 months I've been on public transport. And um, so, yes, we got invited to London to the Fujifilm House of Photography. And I met the marketing manager of Electronic uh, Imaging, group marketing manager, I think it's called now, Andreas Jordi Hades. And Andreas walked us through the camera and then I got half hour with it around Covent Garden in Chinatown using the thing and it was a final production model which is even better because sometimes you get pre-production models which are all very buggy and fall over all the time so the example I use of the GFX 50s2 was a final production model with the 
the kit zooming the cell with it, you know, the 35 to 70 zoom. And the thing is, as you mentioned, Raj, it's um, still a great deal of money. It's £3,900. That's with that particular kit lens. But in medium format photography terms, that is a bargain, absolute bargain. Because of what, you know, think back five, six years before the Fujifilm GFX system came along, medium format cameras were five figures. You know, there were mm. a lot of money, uh, with the odd exception, but they were very, very expensive. Now you can buy a medium format for body only three and a half thousand with a lens three thousand nine hundred pounds, and with full frame cameras coming out, for instance, like the R three, like the Sony A one, which are in excess of five K for the body. Obviously, different beasts for different markets, and you know all that sort of thing. But for that sort of money to go medium format for that, for that money, I think I think staggering. And I have to say, I enjoy using this particular camera. It's very similar. Well, I say very similar to the same body as the GFX one hundred S. A camera I tested earlier this year, which I thought very highly of. The camera body itself is not much bigger than a, a full frame SLR and it handles wonderfully. So, um, sorry, Roger, it was a very long answer to your very short question, but <laughs> I did have, did have a great time with this camera. And this was amongst other products the Future Home launched at the time as well, including the, the XC30 and two X series lenses. But um, to, to go around Chinatown with a camera after basically 18 months of, of lockdown was was wonderful. Good. And of course, you did you did manage to uh, record a little bit of your conversation that you had with uh, with Andreas. Uh, so here we go. A little bit of bonus footage for, for everybody to listen to. This is what Andreas had to say about the uh, about the new launch. After 18 months of lockdown, we now have a first face to face product briefing. Now for the last 18 months, when manufacturers have launched products, I've been working on Zoom and working remotely. It's very difficult. So now it's great to be here in person at the Fujifilm House of Photography in central London. I'm sitting here with Andreas Joidiades, the Group Marketing Manager of Fujifilm UK Imaging Solutions. And he's just shown me this wonderful new product. Now, I'm very excited. Now, regular listeners and readers of the magazine will know I actually am a medium format user. I have a Fujifilm GFX 50R myself. I actually paid good money for one. And now, Andreas, we have this. Now, this is wonderful. Tell us a bit about it, please. Um, hi Will, hi everyone. Um, so yeah, so we've got the GFX 50S um, Mark II, so we, we're announcing we're really, really excited about. Um, the first thing to, to probably say is that we've always said our X-Series and GFX strategy was that we had X-Series for people who wanted a smaller, lighter mirrorless system, but want the versatility as well of, of like the large zoom lenses and things like that. But then for outright image quality, we've got the GFX range as well. So for landscape portraits, situations where you're slightly more in control, maybe on the street, not necessarily football pitches and things like that, we, we've got this GFX system. So the GFX 50S is, is the next evolution of, of the system. And it was actually five years ago in Photokina where we announced the, the original 50S um, development of it. And it was a game changer back then saying we had medium format for less than $10,000 um, and, and so like the size and weight of less than a, than a DSLR and, and that was a, a bit of a, an eye-opener for most people. So what we're trying to do with the 50S Mark II is appeal to this huge range of customers who love taking landscapes, who love taking portraits, studio shooters, um, people who want that unique medium format look that you get from having a larger sensor but trying to bring that affordability down to 
more of the 35mm full frame audience. I mean, we've seen from the other manufacturers high resolution full frame systems for three and a half, four thousand pounds. And what we're trying to do with the 50S Mark II is try and tap into that demand, knowing that customers are willing to spend that sort of money, but want might want better image quality than what they're currently getting. I mean, I must say, I've only had this in my hands for the last couple of minutes. And the first thing that impresses me, it's the size of the thing. It's actually really quite compact for a medium format camera. And also you've got the new lens on it, which is the, the GFX 30 to 5 to 70 millimeter standard zoom. And that's really weird as well. I mean, that is such an impressive package. Yeah, I mean, we, we challenge the engineers constantly and they, they, they don't appreciate it. But we said to them originally, make a medium format camera smaller than a DSLR. And obviously the, the goalposts have moved five years on. Um, six months ago, we launched the GFX 100S, which made people stand up and notice. And that, that camera body was smaller than some full frame mirrorless cameras. So utilizing exactly the same body, exactly the same image stabilization um, system, but, but putting the 50 megapixel sensor means allows us to get that price down um, to, to much more reasonable, but ergonomically, exactly the same as the 100S. Um, so that, that's really um, been appreciated. So we thought, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the, the sensor you mentioned, the 50 megapixel sensor, is that the sensor from the existing Fujifilm cameras, the same one? Yeah, so it's the same sensor that we've used on the 50S and the, and the 50R, but we've put it with the current X processor 4. So we basically bumped up the processing power. So things like um, the image quality will be very similar, if not exactly the same. But what you're actually getting now is faster autofocus because the processor is able to handle more information and things like that. We've got over 79 improvements, be it thanks to the processor or other firmware. Um, things like the nostalgic negative film simulation that we first saw on the 100S, we're now able to bring to this 50S Mark II because of the, the processor. So while people might think headline specs, oh, it's the same sensor, the, the overall, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover sort of sure. thing. The, the overall package is way more than, than the uh, existing 50S and the 50R, even though it's, it's the, utilizing the same sensor. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna do this, Andreas. See if the microphone picks up. That, that shutter is so quiet. Yeah, so we, we, it's the same shutter mechanism as the 100S. It was utilizing the technology that, that we developed for the, for the X-T4, that, that quiet shutter operation. And in essence, it's one of the reasons why we're able to get it into that, that small package. The, the 50S had that little humpback, and that okay. was because the technology at the time meant that we couldn't fit everything in to, to the, the, small, the small package. So it had to have that little bit of a, a humpback for the, for the battery. But the, um, yeah, the shutter mechanism has been redesigned, the, the IBIS system, it was all redesigned for the 100S. And it's like, well, actually, let, let's utilize all that technology with a 50 megapixel sensor because not everyone wants the 100 megapixel rather everyone probably wants the 100 megapixel but everyone just doesn't <laughs> need and can't justify it of course you have a need yeah i like megapixels now you've done something to the focus system as well because AF is really really swift on this camera yeah so even though the readout of the sensor is exactly the same what by having the new processor we're, we're able to improve the autofocus responsiveness so we've got a little thing called rapid af it's a little function uh, that you can switch on and off in the menu. Um, new, new algorithm for specifically designed for the contrast AF system. And um, yeah, it focuses as quick as 0.27 seconds using that 
35 to 70 lens that you've got just to put it into perspective the gfx 100s with the phase detection pixels focuses in um, 0.17 seconds with exactly the same lens so you're not you're not losing that much speed by not having the, the phase detection pixels yes there is obviously advantage by having phase detection but it's worth saying that the engineers have worked their magic on that sensor and um, when it's been added to the new processor well, i think your engineers have worked their magic with the lens as well because i've got the 32 to 64 standard zoom and this 35 to 70 is so much lighter and smaller yeah. I mean, it's incredibly light. It, it is incredibly light. And we, we, we said to them, we need a kit lens. We want to have a complete package that's less than £4,000. And they, they've designed this 35 to 70, which is equivalent to 28 to 55. So a nice, really versatile range. Yeah, versus the 32 to 64, we don't have that constant F4 aperture all the way through. We don't have an aperture ring um, because the challenge we set was to try and get it as small and light as possible. It's a collapsing zoom, so when it when it collapses in on itself, it's even smaller. Um, so it's about the same size as like a 63 mil, so, so the, the prime lens. It is, it is a stunning little kit lens, um, focuses very, very close throughout the whole um, range. Um, can resolve up to um, 100 megapixels if, if you put it onto a 100 megapixel body. Um, like all our GFX lenses, I'm going to be honest and say, yes, the corner sharpness suffers slightly when you are wide open and things like that. And you, But by the time you stop down, if you're shooting landscapes or portraits, yeah, it is a stunning um, lens addition to the range for, for 849 when it's bought by itself and only an extra £400 when it's bought with the, with the camera. I mean, 849 for the lens on its own. Yeah. You haven't mentioned the price of the camera yet, so what's the price of the camera? So the body only is 3499 in the UK, and wow. the body with the kit lens is 3899, both available sort of like end of September time. So basically now, any photographer who's shooting full frame at the moment and wants a bit more, they can go medium format for under £4,000 yeah. for camera and lens. Correct. That's incredible value. Yeah. That's amazing value. So, so, yeah, six months ago we, we pushed the envelope and, and got 100 megapixels down to five and a half and, and we, we're not resting on our laurels and, and we challenged the engineers and the, the product team again and um, we, we sort of like got a medium format camera with lens for less than £4,000, yeah. Wonderful. Look, Andres, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for inviting me down to the House Photography to, to show me the wonderful product. May I wish you all the best with it. And no doubt we'll be seeing you again for more product launches in due course. Yes. Thanks, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Will. Take care. This photography news podcast is sponsored by MPB. Use their free online valuation tool to instantly find out exactly how much your gear is worth. Get super fast payments straight into your bank account. And if you change your mind at any point, up until you get paid, they'll ship it back for free. So... With all of that kit and photography, I mean, blimey, I don't know how else we're going to, uh, I don't know how we're going to follow that, but we've we've come up with a little idea about something that we wanted to talk about this time round, which may be a little bit controversial, maybe uh, something that gets people's tongues wagging and gets people writing into us. If you do want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is on podcast at photographynews.co.uk. We love getting uh, emails from you all. So what we thought we'd do is open the photography room 101 now for anybody who um, who isn't familiar with this concept the idea is is that each one of us is going to nominate a couple of um, photographic related things 
that is a particular pet peeve of ours. And then we will give our reasons as to why we uh, dislike or are annoyed by that particular thing. And then we will decide whether or not it should be be put into the room 101 uh, to be sealed forever and never see the light of day again. <laughs> so uh, we had a little chuckle about this as we uh, we kicked these ideas around before we started. So I'm going to come to you, Kingsley, to get us started in terms of would you like to nominate a couple of items to put into your uh, photography room 101 am i am i nominating both at the same time why not let's <laughs> shall we right, do well, that okay well yeah i so that i i'll nominate uh, fisheye lenses and uh, dirdle door okay <laughs> so, would you like to take us through the reasoning behind your two nominations well, I think well, starting with fisheye lenses, um, to my mind, they are uh, just sort of fairly useless or almost entirely useless. Certainly, I've never found any particular use for them. And um, in in an age where we are where where we think um, you know deeply about uh, the 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 pressures on the that we put on the planet and the way that we consume things, I would I would argue that the for the amount of resources shipping. Uh, and other sort of energies that go into um, fisheye lenses, their manufacture and such, the the relative output creatively is very very low. <laughs> uh, I can think of I can think of I, right off the top of my head now I can think of only one picture that I've ever taken with a fisheye lens that I that I that I like or that I thought was and and that that was a kind of a that was a portrait of someone with his dog. Uh, and it does have a sort of a it does have a, a comical sort of edge to it, you know, a distorted comical edge. But like, but yes, I mean, basically, I just think they're like they're rotten things, and they should be removed from reality entirely. So, for, so for clarity, when we talk about, are we talking about all fisheye lenses, or are we talking about the sort of extreme circular sort of image type fisheye lens, or or is it is it, is everything going in here? Nah, everything. Just stick them all in. <laughs> <laughs> just because what well, you're not you're clearly not a fan of distortion unless in particular uh, and, and of course i suppose when we, if we think logically about this as a as a as a massive fan of long lenses <laughs> um, <laughs> the fish eye is always going to be uh you know uh, the uh it's gonna you're going to direct your ire towards fish eye lenses um but uh, so that's it you, you just don't like distortion and you think they're a waste of time I, I just, I just, I, I don't. I, I think they're one of those lenses that people imagine are going to be a lot of fun as well, and then they may buy one or rent one or use one, and they kind of go, ah, well, phew. yeah, it makes everything look really distorted. So, you know, it's like it's. I mean, I, I, I would, I would, you know, I would challenge people, obviously, um, to give us their own perspective on these things. But I, I once again, I, I would say that kind of, I, I bet there are a lot of people that think the same way. Probably well, not. What, <laughs> what do you reckon, Will? Fish well, eye lenses. I, I get Kingsley's point. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, <laughs> I have used one occasionally, and uh, I quite enjoyed one. I had a, a Sigma 16 mil for quite a while, and that was good fun to use. But the thing is, also with that particular fish eye, it was a full frame fish eye. When you took the pictures into Lightroom, you clicked the lens profile, and all the all the curved lines became straight. So right. it was like an ultra wide. So I'm 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 not quite so uh, vehement about fisheye lenses. You, you may as well have you may as well have just used an ultra wide lens then. 
Yeah, you might as well. But I didn't have one, so I used a fisheye lens, which I clicked, I clicked on Lightroom to store tape for me. <laughs> but I do find them rather fun. I mean, you're right, they're a novelty and uh, you seem tired of them, but um, I won't put them in room 101. Okay, fine. So no, that's a no from you. Um, I've, I have actually owned a fisheye lens um, for a short period of time and got rid of it. So yeah, it's in as far as I can see, because <laughs> I used it about three times and uh, and then sold it. So, uh, all right. So, uh, fish eyes are in. Well, they're, yes. they're certainly in from my perspective. But the dirtled or Kingsley, that's got to be a, that's a tougher that's a tougher shout. Okay. Well, so, so I'll, I'll clarify a bit. It's not doodle. I mean, I'm not saying that you know someone should go and bulldoze dirtled door because it's a beautiful um, a beautiful sort of landscape. It's a beautiful um, feature. But it, it's more the concept of people lining up to shoot the same thing. You know, it's it's the idea that if one rocks up to Durdle Door and takes a picture that it's somehow a great landscape because it's, you know, it's not. It's like, fine, you know, the, the earth created this thing, which is a beautiful thing. But mm. it, I don't know. It, it's it's the conformity of it. It's 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 that it's I can't remember. I mean, Will went and shot that that's this thing the other day. But it's that tree in the middle of Hadrian's Wall. It's um, <laughs> it's Normanton Church. <laughs> it's all of those things it's like ah, oh, god the same thing and i suppose like people you know the, the one the one thing that i would say that uh excuses the fact of that stuff is, is when someone goes and shoots it in a, in a completely different way you know they make the effort to kind of make something original but like hmm. just rocking up to something that someone other people have shot a billion times before and and particularly doing it in the same do you know what there's another version of it so like this is this is this isn't the, 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 he's on Dirtle a rant here is, he's off <laughs> Dirtle door is Dirtle door is emblematic of what i'm saying um it's like that you know there's that shot of there's some cottages in front of is it beachy head or or the white cliffs of dover or something yeah like everybody shoots it from the same position with the same focal length so that the you know, so that you marry up the two. It's like, come on. It's a bit It's a bit like, um, is it the photographic equivalent of collecting stickers for an album? You sort of like almost go around and then you sort of, you, you, you want to get the exact same photograph that you can put and say, yeah, I've done Dirtle Door. I've done the Beachy Head Cottage. The other one that springs to mind is that cottage in the in Glencoe, you know, the sort of white cottage in Glencoe or yeah. uh, Bukayaleti Moor as well. It's like everybody I, goes along with a stream in the foreground. And yeah, the or, or like... There, right? Or slightly more, um, slightly more sort of further flung. There's, and I can't remember its name, or even if I could pronounce it. But there's a particular mountain on in Iceland, like a very kind of triangular witch's hat mountain, and everyone takes the same picture. You know, they yeah. rock up in a jeep, um, you know, with the waterfall in front of it, and it's like, you know, <laughs> now will. As as a photographer, I know pretty much that you've gone along and got all these pictures. So, so I'm assuming that you're going to defend them to the hilt. Well, I mean, I, I take Kingsley's point in that a lot, lot of places people do rock up to and front, they, they line their tripods up and photograph it. But how far do you go? I mean, just as an example. Put the whole uh, earth in. Well, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, uh, for instance, I mean, Kingsley, you've been to Lefouten and uh, I went there a couple of years ago. And I remember the village there, Rainer, I think it was called, and there's a, there's a, a wood walkway at the, above the village. And you get up at dawn, and there are 50, 60 photographers all lined up there with their tripods. Yeah, so what yeah. you do, dump the village in room 101 as well, are you? No, I wouldn't. I, I, do you know, I know I dumped the photographers in room 101. 
<laughs> and I'll tell you what I did when I was there. I did that. I got to the there. I stayed the same page, sort of took a snap and thought, no, like I've got to try harder than this. So I ended up walking down the hill and obviously nearly breaking my neck doing it and trying to get a different angle, you know, on that. Because it is a great collection of, you know, background, foreground, mm. the red roofed or red kind of walled um, huts and everything. But, you know, you've, you've, you've got. And the other thing, that bridge is that um, it vibrates. Like when a car goes over it, the whole thing vibrates and the amount of photographers on it make the whole thing shake. So anyone trying a long exposure is just like is is doomed. So as, far as, so as you say, Kingsley, as you said, I think with the start of this bit is it's not so much the location itself. It's the people who go along and just do the the archetypal picture thereof. It's the box ticking. Yeah, because I'm, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was completely unconformist, but I'm not a kind of a, I'm not I've never been a joiner in. Uh, yeah. Things. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what do you so I'm, i mean i'm with you kingsley so I, i'm gonna chuck it in because um you know i've box ticking photographers you know i'm sure there are the, we're probably like halving our listenership in the process of doing this podcast <laughs> but yeah if you're just going to rock up and take the same picture that everybody else has taken then yeah i'm totally with that i'm totally with that what about you will well i mean I don't quite agree with Kings. I, I know what he's like. I said, I know what you're saying about the photographers to do that. But then, I did that. I mean, I mentioned I went to Brighton the other day and photographed the West Pier. That's probably one of the most photographed piers in the UK. But I still went and did it. And right. um, get in, get in, get in, get him in. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, he's entitled to his view. That's fine. Okay. Well, all right. Well, I'm with you, Kingsley. So on fish eyes and on uh, and on box ticking photographers, I'm with you. So but just remember that when I do my. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this level of success, if I'm honest. I might have to start backtracking on the uh, attach a rope to Dirtle Door so we can pull it out in a. Well, Dirtle Door itself is not going in. It's the photographers. No, that's, who right, that's right. OK, right. Well, that's a good start. So, right. Come on, Will. What about your two? Well, look, if we're talking about dumping photographers into room 101, then I would also like to dump some photographers in room 101. And I, I liken, liken these people to, um, do you remember Douglas Adams when he first, when he wrote about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And in that, he had something called the B arc. And on the B arc were the people, uh, telephone sanitizers and hairdressers that are two professions I remember being on the B arc. And it's basically this B arc was not going to go anywhere. They, these people weren't <laughs> going to be saved. And, <laughs> So my equivalent of that in terms of Kingsley's photographers are photographers who call themselves photographic artists. <laughs> it's a word right. artist, like they're photographers. I'm, I, things, if they said, I'm a photographer and I produce pictures, I sell this fine art, I'm fine with that. But it's when you right. see their business card or their website, you know, it's John Smith or Joe Smith, photographic artist. Pretentious <laughs> posers, I call them, and I love to see them on my B arc or Room One Hundred One. So, and any thoughts on? Oh, sorry, I go <laughs> no, I was going to. Well, before, yeah, no, well, I was going oh, to. Before you do the second, I was just going to ask oh. for some for some thoughts on that from photographic artist Kingsley Singleton. <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on that, Kingsley? <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't. Um, I can't. No, I I can't disagree with that. I don't think I can disagree with that. I think that um, it's a little bit highfalutin, isn't it? I guess um, it's but almost so like up to. But Kingsley, you don't market yourself as a photographic artist, do you? No, I don't. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't like 
I, I wouldn't I, I would never express any idea that anything that I do is even close to art um but uh, no I, I think I think there's yeah, there, there is a sort of a, there is a worrying level of kind of pomposity about it isn't there Right. So, well, are you basically saying, Will, because this is this is a this is a whole separate debate, but are you effectively saying, I mean, is this the photography art discussion or is it or is it just the fact that, you know, you don't you don't like the fact that people call themselves photographic artists and it's actually you're not questioning it as an art form in itself? Uh, the latter, definitely. I don't have a problem with people selling photography as fine art. Um, OK, small A, I suppose, to a big A. Um, to me, it's kind of all of a craft and art, but whatever. I, I don't have a problem with photographic art as such. It's these people who sell themselves to take really average pictures. They con people. This is the thing that gets me, I suppose. They con people into paying money for their pictures, which is really galling, but they're really so, average pictures. So, so, so this is so this is kind of the idea that you can you can describe yourself as a fine art photographer, but but not as a photographic artist artist. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd probably go there. I mean, I, I would have, I, I'm okay with people calling themselves fine art photographers. I'm, I'm even, you know, I'm tempted to chuck them in as well, but certainly when they call themselves photographic artists, is it, is it, living, I'm a photographic artist. Is it, allied, is it allied to the idea that kind of, you know, to, the, to appreciate these pictures, you have to read like a 1500 word description? Right, yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, okay. So I, I can't read uh, fifteen hundred essays, fifteen hundred word essays, let alone write them. So yeah, you're probably right. Okay. Well, well, I'm, I take it therefore, Kings, that you're supporting Will's um, uh, nomination of photographic artists. Uh, no, no, I don't think I'll bother. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 I will. Yes. Yes, Fine. you will. Okay, so we'll chuck that in as well. I will. I will also support that. Uh, <laughs> Um, even though you know, I, I, I love, it. I like it. Well, I like the fact that you uh, that you hate it with such passion. So we'll definitely <laughs> check that in. So, what's your other nomination? Is it is it photographic editors? Maybe or... <laughs> <laughs> chuck myself in there. And then my <laughs> second nomination is kit related. Um, my my nomination: cheap rickety tripods that people in the high street sell. I mean, the well-known retailers that sell these tripods, not worth the materials and the consumables used to producing them, going back to Kingsley's point about fish eyes, they cost money to produce, they ship them over, they sell them over to these uh, poor people who, okay, to be fair, some photographers or vloggers or whatever they might use, and they might use them once a year for self-portraits at Christmas, that sort of thing. I kind of get it, but what worries me is that certainly when I used to do training of photographers, I had so many people turn up with these horrible aluminium things that um, they weren't stable. They you, you can even bend, you can twist the legs, even, you know, you know, with a little tweak. Um, they had heads that wouldn't hold the camera steady. They had a quick release plates made of plastic. So when you lock the, the camera on, it just can, you can never lock them on properly. And when you wanted to shoot upright format and you turn the camera on its side, the lens would droop. They're dreadful. And <laughs> people buy them in their millions. And that's what I'll get rid of. The things about it for me is, one, I don't th think they're fit for the purpose. What they also do, though, is discourage people using tripods. And tripods are very much a good thing. And I encourage people to use tripods. Just buy a decent one. Don't, don't buy one of these ones for 30, 40, 50, 60 quid in a, in a, down the high street. You know, go to a photographic retailer. Buy a proper tripod is what I'm trying to encourage. And these cheap, ricky things... Room 101 for me. 
So what you're saying is, I think, uh, in a, in terms of standout sort of uh, notable parts of the specification on these will be central leg bracing. Um, <laughs> there'll be some sort of plastic handle that winds the tripod up and down, a plastic head, as you've as you've already discussed, and maybe four or five section legs just to kind yeah. of um, maximize the uh, the lack of stability. Yeah, that... absolutely. And also maybe a twist grip handle sometimes where they have to loosen the center columns and move them around. And uh, the bracing you've mentioned, which is which is definitely relevant. Um, but they're just horrible. I mean, they're light and wobbly. They're pointless. And well, for our readers, if, they, if they're serious about their photography, buy a half decent tripod. If you can afford it, buy a carbon fiber one. I recognise that not everybody's got that budget, so buy aluminium, but just buy a stable one, maybe spend 100 quid, 120 quid, buy a decent head, one which is, for instance, compatible with Arca Swiss plates. So these are plates that attach to your tripod using a hex key, an Allen key, so you can get a real good tightening action on the on the plate. Um, just buy something decent and enjoy it, because I think, I'm sure that's why a lot of photographers do not use tripods. They've been tainted by these cheap, horrible things. They've got given to them you know, for, for Christmas or something like that, or probably got them out of a cracker even. But just chuck them. Don't buy them. Don't support that in particular industry. Buy something a bit more worthwhile and substantial. Well, um, before I come to Kingsley, I'm going to say, Will, you're not having it. And for the simple reason <laughs> that um, I, when I used to work in retail, I used to sell bucket loads of those and it used to help contribute to my uh, to my bonus at the end of the uh, the end of the year. But also also the fact that I think you are, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're knocking around prices. there like oh, 100 quid, spend 100 quid. And I totally I totally agree with you. But. I think if somebody can pick up a tripod for 30 quid, as long as they're not got, as long as they don't have over ambitious expectations about what that can do, i.e. it's not, don't rack it out to the maximum height. Don't, you know, don't expect it to support a camera and lens combination that's going to weigh two or three kilos. Um, I think it's better than having nothing whatsoever. And obviously you are going to have a little bit of movement and that, you know, we often might say, oh, we'll stick it on a rock or put it on a fence or something like that. But whenever I've reverted to that, I never find a way that I can actually frame the image in the way that I want to frame it. So I'm going to I'm going to save the cheap tripod for <laughs> room 101 on that basis, because I think they, they do still have a value and it's better to have some form of support that is modifiable and can be you know, have a degree of flexibility than none whatsoever. But Kingsley, it looks like you're going to be the deciding vote on this. So are you are you keeping it in or are you chucking it in or keeping it out? I'm, it's very I, I'm wavering on that. Like in, in, in principle, I completely agree insofar as you know like a some in some ways like a um you know bad tripod is worse than no tripod at all but then equally you know th there's a lot of truth in the idea that the best tripod is the one you've got with you isn't it you can't you couldn't otherwise do a particular picture if you didn't have you know like as as you were saying like in in a particularly kind of stern and nasty way of, as will was saying that I, I thought actually maybe one of the things i would have put in was center columns i don't like center columns uh <laughs> But I like having, I mean, I, I suppose in a way, to, in defense of those things, the first tripod I bought was one of those tripods. Um, and mm. it did mean that I could get, you know, and I, I very quickly sort of left it behind. And I suppose, you know, wavering, going backwards and forwards as, as I actually am, um, th th that, is, that is an issue because, you know, people tend to use those things uh, and then realize they're disposable or have to dispose of them because they want to move on 
to kind of something else. And so like if you go to a car boot sale, they'll inevitably there'll be some some it'll be like a forest of these horrible legs um <laughs> around. I genuinely don't know whether I support the inclusion of that or not. Well, Perhaps we'll come back to you. We'll we'll come we'll, yeah, toss a coin. Well, we'll come well, back to Rog, you. how about we ask our listeners to vote? I mean, you've mentioned the, the, the podcast address. Let's yes. go and read it to vote. If I, I want some support then, guys. Listeners out there, I need some support on this one. What do you think? The cheap tripod. Does it go in or does it stay out? Okay, so a couple of things from me very quickly because we're, we're, we're going on quite a lot. Um, two things, um, although I think the first one might might cause a little bit of discussion, which is one of my absolute pet hates of photography is HDR. Um, now, what for those uh, uninitiated in HDR is uh, high dynamic range. And it was something that kind of started probably, I don't know, what do you reckon, Will, 10, maybe 15 years ago, where yeah. people basically yeah. started doing multiple different exposures and then sort of combining them together in various different types of software you can do it in photoshop and producing almost like sort of cartoon like creations now i'm pretty sure i'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that um they were the uh, they were there was a rash of them across the camera club circuit um i don't know whether or not it still exists will i haven't I haven't paid too much attention to camera club sort of photography competition competitions for a while but there was this sort of like it was almost like it was a rite of passage that you had to create an HDR image, which would be, as I say, cartoon like. And for me, photography is, you know, the, the beauty of a scene is is what's a, where the highlights are and where the shadows. And I don't want to see all the detail in them. But we sort of went through this process where everybody just wanted to see all the detail in all the areas of a picture. And as a result of it, I think it produced incredible sort of falsities in terms of what people were creating. But... I do know that somebody like Kingsley, for example, <laughs> does occasionally capture multiple different exposures and combine them in a sort of subtle HDR style. So I guess I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm okay with that. It's the real sort of cartoon sort of extreme that um, that some photographers go to that really kind of really, really rubs me up the wrong way. Kingsley. So that's that's kind of where I would I would question the 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 its inclusion insofar as high dynamic range photography is only about kind of making up for the shortcomings of a camera sensor. It's not um, it, it doesn't have to be interpreted in a way that makes you want to vomit. I mean, um, and like, and I know the the images you're describing. I like those. I like those that kind of wall art that you occasionally find in Indian restaurants, where there's a sort of a, um, a, a like a, a picture with a moving waterfall. And yes. a kind of a, I can't I can't describe them. And they're sort of twinkly, aren't they? And it's like it's all pretty horrendous. Um, mm. But I, I mean, I I would gladly support the inclusion of of because like as you make these things, as you put various exposures through HDR packages to combine the images. Um, generally, there are two options which are usable, which are just these kind of ones that give you a flat starting point that you can then make look like a regular scene. And everything else, yeah, is 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 this horrible, crusty, like high contrast uh, micro, you know, huge micro contrast in these things. Everything looks like it's 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 like it's been spray painted onto sandpaper or something. Um, so and and they, these options are called things like vivid or you know or hyper real or something like that. And yeah, I hate them. Like so, yeah. I would gladly put those in. Right. 
But the idea of combining exposures, we're not talking about that as, as such. We're talking about the hyper real, vivid thing. So, Will, are they? I mean, so I think I've got Kingsley's vote, which is which is nice. So, are they? Are these things still the rash? Are they still a wart on Camera Club competition <laughs> walls, or are they? Uh, are they? Have they, have they been reduced in uh, recent years? I think it's calmed down a great deal, Rog, from when the the, the heyday of HDR. It, it was kind of going back many many years, going back to when coking filters first arrived. And you could put green filters on your sky and tobacco filters on your sky and it was horrible and they, they appeared everywhere and then they disappeared and uh, hdr's come down a lot i think the judges mark them down generally speaking there which is why members don't use hdr too much um but you still get some images where the photographers maybe hasn't got experience and has overcooked it slightly so basically done what kingsley's talking about you know got a number of images at different exposures and merge them together and the effect can still look very HDR and judges still will mark a, a picture down because of that. Um, so I'm with you in a way, but I do use HDR a little bit myself, but only in the right situations when, for instance, you're photographing an interior and you want some detail from the exterior of the show. So you may do a bracket and you, you kind of merge two without going into the cartoon style that you, you, you talked about, which you're absolutely right. I mean, there's I remember this one guy had millions of followers and that's all he did when around the world photographed these scenes and Put them through HDR, they were awful. He was probably a photographic <laughs> artist actually thinking about it. <laughs> so, yes, I agree with that aspect of HDR, Rog. Okay, wonderful. It's in. Right now, less so, Will. I'm sure I'm going to come straight back to you here because my other pet peeve is well, I've got many, but my other pet photographic peeve <laughs> is people who call photographers togs. Um, now, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just like it. Do we really need to like shorten everything to such an extent that we have to call photographers togs um, and editors eds and all this sort of thing? Uh, but having said that, Will, uh, it's just a it's just a personal thing. I'm just not a fan of it, but I know you do it. <laughs> so... No, to be fair, I mean, I think I've got a tog in one of my email addresses somewhere. Um, I think it's just a bit of shorthand. I, I don't have any anti feeling against it necessarily. And again, the other, another word I've heard used uh, before is FOTS um, and that's I think the bloke I first used that was in the services I think he's a Royal Navy photographer and they're generally right. called FOTS I suppose the TOGS um, right. you know is it, it's better than snappers don't you think I don't mind snappers because it's a complete word <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about the TOGS is I don't use it too much now I use it very sparingly because an awful lot of people don't understand what I'm talking about so yeah. I've, sent e I've sent emails to, to people in our in our business and I go referencing photographers and calling them togs. I go, togs, what does that stand for? T-O-G-S, what is that? So <laughs> I, I, I think I would avoid it um, purely because it's, um, it's ambiguous and people don't understand the terminology. But is it worth Remo 1? Oh, I'm neither one or the other. It's to also be honest. a duvet rating, Will. <laughs> the tog rating is the rating of how warm a duvet is so uh, how on earth does that relate to photography uh, so anyway King... no, Rog, maybe we should uh, rate photographers in the same way have a tog rating you know so 10 you're a very good snapper or a very good fot and one you you shouldn't be allowed out with the camera right Please. indeed um kingsley togs yes or no um it's funny, it's, like, it's, it's almost like the opposite end of the scale to photographic artiste, isn't it? It's, it is. it's, like, it's almost like a, it's a throwing away of the idea of being a photographer. Maybe it's useful for people that don't want to describe themselves as a photographer because they think that sounds too worthy, something like that. And it, it sort of reminds me of like 
especially when Will brought up like the services stuff, like the way that people in other industries will call themselves like a chippy or a sparky or something like that, wouldn't mm. they? Like it's mm -hmm. a sort of a it's it's a it's a sort of a removal of the artifice maybe of it. Um, I I yeah I I never I only noticed people using it like maybe seven eight years ago, and I didn't right. like it when it came out. So I guess I'll stick to that. Okay, good. So, um, are you going to? You're not going to rebrand yourself as a tog artist from uh, tog? I don't think, no, that'd be kind of. No, there's sure there's there's surely some sort of portmanteau that you could make of that, isn't there? But, indeed, indeed. Well, good stuff. Okay. Well, I think um, that was uh, quite a lively little conversation. Um, we'd love to obviously hear from uh, listeners who have their own pet peeves photographically. Um, if you've uh, if you've got some things that you'd like to nominate into to throw into our photography room 101, then please do let us know. Uh, the email address is the best way to get in touch with us, which is podcast at photographynews.co.uk. Moving on, let's answer some listener questions. We've got a couple of questions here. The first one is going to our podcast sponsors, the guys at MPB. Uh, and this is a question from Susan Blake, who's in Cumbria. She's emailed us this question, which she said, I'm thinking of investing in a Canon EF 70 to 200 mm f2.8 lens and I've seen some great prices from secondhand sellers. Can MPB tell me the difference in their condition gradings and tell me what price I can expect to pay for the lens in each category? Well, we're going to pass this question on to the guys at MPB and here's what they had to say. Uh, thanks, Susan. Uh, great question. Um, so yeah, so we have uh, five uh, condition uh, ratings. Um, the first one um, is like new, then we have excellent, then we have um, good, we have well used, and then we have heavily used. So basically, what is true across all five categories um, in terms of sorry, five condition ratings is that all items will always be fully functional. Um, so they will work as they should. So largely, the, um, the, the difference in the condition will be largely cosmetic. So like new is like it, like, like it basically like it sounds. The, the, the product is practically like new uh, with very, very, very little, if any, uh, signs of use. Um, excellent, you can maybe expect um, a, a small scuff, for example, um, on the barrel of a lens. Um, but that's as much as you'll get. Usually, sometimes they're even indistinguishable. Um, good, again, you can expect a few more scuffs, um, but uh, generally speaking, the, the, the product will, will still be in very, very good condition. Um, well used, you can begin to expect a, a little bit more scuffing, maybe a, maybe a scratch um, on, the, on the body uh, or on the lens barrel. Maybe some of the uh, the rubber grips um, might be kind of coming coming off a little bit. Uh, there may be a label peeled off, uh, or something along those uh, something along those lines. And heavily used is just a kind of a, a more uh, a, a, an increased version of the well used condition. So um, shutter counts might be very very high on on bodies, for example. Um, uh, there might be more peeling. There might be an increased amount of, uh, of scratching and scuffing, just owing to to use. But in terms of the glass on the lens, um, it should be in very very good condition, if not perfect condition. And the cameras will always be fully functional. They will always turn on. They will always fire. They will work at all shutter speeds. So you can expect full functionality from from the items. 
In terms of the cameras that you've queried, um, sorry, in terms of the lens that you've queried, um, I'm gonna because you didn't uh, you didn't uh, specifically say which which lens. There's there's actually a few versions of that lens. There's the seventy two hundred f two point eight L. Then there's the LIS LIS two and LIS three. IS meaning uh, they've got image stabilization and the number after that meaning kind of what version of the lens it is. So I'm going to assume that you are probably interested in the IS version. Um, so we'll we'll run through some of those. So the third version is arguably the best one in terms of optical performance. This is a professional lens, professional grade lens. So you can expect kind of much better image quality uh, than its predecessors. Although I say much, often it's often really indistinguishable unless you're actually looking very very closely um, at all corners of the image for example um, so the third version um, we have prices beginning at uh, obviously the like new is 1889 excellent is 1799 good 1619 well used 1259 and heavily used 949 because the third version is actually quite a new lens um, we haven't actually seen that many in the lower three categories generally just excellent and like new um, so i would say the prices that you will likely see are from the 1799 and the 18 uh, 1889 Moving on to the LIS 2 version, um, I would also kind of say that this is probably my top pick uh, of the bunch. Um, it's uh, a good mix of being a fairly recent lens whilst also kind of being uh, more moderately priced than the third and latest version. So with the two, um, you can expect uh, prices of 12, uh, so 1,209 for a like new, 1,149 for excellence, 1049 for good, 839 for well used, and 6699 for heavily used. Uh, moving on to uh, the final version of the IS, uh, uh, a range of lenses, which is the first version, the LIS 1. Um, now, this lens um, uh, is I wouldn't say it's just as good as the uh, as the first version, as the second version or the third version, but many will say it's 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 worth definitely worth the money, um, or the money that you're saving in actually buying the other two versions. So the like new version will start at nine two four, excellent at eight seven nine, good at seven eight nine, well used six one four, and heavily used at four five nine. Um, but like I said, my pick of the bunch will definitely would definitely be the seventy two hundred LIS uh, two. Um, it's a fantastic lens, one le a lens that I've used many many times, and it's never really uh, left me wanting uh, for more in terms of image quality. Um, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of people will kind of examine the the, the lens um, from corner to corner. Um, which obviously is fine, but to be honest with you, when you're shooting at uh, at the top end of that zoom range, um, a lot of the a lot of the image is actually defocused, even at very small apertures. So what's happening in the corners is actually completely inconsequential. It's largely what's happening in the center or where you're actually trying to get focus, and those parts of the image are always beautifully rendered. And the IS obviously is incredible. It really really helps with um, with making sure that your image. Um, is stabilized um, at uh, smaller uh, shutter speeds when you're shooting, for example, you know, when light is at a premium or, you know, when, when you don't want to actually hike up your, your ISO. So, yeah, so that's my pick of the bunch, the Canon EF 7200 f2.8 LIS 2 USM. So hopefully, Susan, that's given you the answer you're looking for.
Gentlemen, one for us to cover off. And this comes from a chap called Terry Lawson, who's in uh, Thetford, not too far from me, in fact. And so he's probably enjoying the pouring rain at the moment as well. Now that the summer is almost done, well, I'd say, Terry, it's definitely done based on today. I'm turning my attention to what I can photograph indoors. Good planning. I'd like to invest in some new lights to capture portraits, still lifes and stuff like that. But do you think I should buy main studio flash or battery powered units? And do you have any specific recommendations? I don't have a huge, huge budget, but I'm prepared to invest in the right setup. Kingsley. Can you help Terry out? Mains flash or battery powered flash to start with? Um, yeah, I, I guess like it depends on how. I mean, battery powered flash, as long as it can be connected to the mains, like that's to me, that's the best way to go. Because mm. like I, I would rather have that, uh, you know, and particularly if budget's tight, I would rather buy a unit that I could use for both. So I could use it on location or, you know, in a uh, indoors, but well away from a power supply but that I could also just run it off the mains if I wanted to. And based on that, uh, like I have two Interfit S1 heads and that's what they do. So they, you know, they, 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 they can run off either. And that, that's very useful. There's a, I mean, you know, there are any number of uh, manufacturers that, that do sort of similar. I, I know that there's like a um, Pixapro City 600, but you, I think, but for that, you have to buy an adapter with it. So right. that adds an additional expense, like the, the, the flash is kind of 750 or 800 pounds, I think. And then you have to buy, spend 100 pounds on an adapter. So like that, that's pushing it up maybe. But yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I'd go. I, I, I'd go for both because, right. you know, then you're sort of future proof. Is it generally safe to say that battery powered units are less powerful than mains power units for the price? In terms of so if you bought some battery powered stuff, it's probably it's probably not going to get as much punch. Or is that a, is that a completely uh, <laughs> a nonsense? <laughs> I think I think generally that's going to be the case, isn't it? Because um, and, and all, I mean, sometimes battery powered stuff can be more expensive. In fact, mm. I think it usually is because obviously you are buying an additional cell mm. along with it. I, it, it. It kind of it's such a broad it's such a broad field. I don't know, but I, I I would definitely go down like the idea of future proofing because you know it yeah. may be that he that he wants to kind of you know as I say like sort of shoot indoors, but but kind of but have that flexibility rather than being kind of stuck within the the length of an extension cord. Sure. Will anything to add? I mean, Terry's um, has mentioned his budget, which of course kind of makes it answering the the question difficult. So he said he didn't have a huge budget. So, but well, yeah, I mean, you know, he might be uh, he might be a millionaire for all we know, in which case exactly. he might be looking at four or five grand. <laughs> yeah, we should encourage our listeners to give us some actual figures if they possibly can. But I, I do take Terry's point, and Kingsley makes a, a perfectly valid point. I, I recently bought a couple of uh, Godox AD two hundred Pros, which are um, battery powered only. But that's fine. I do product photography with them. They're very compact. Uh, I fold them away. But you can use them in, on lighting stands. You can use them, you know, handheld if you're shooting in the quick moving situation. And they've got interchangeable flash heads. So mm. one's got a speed light type head, and another one has got like a, a, a proper flash tube, which you you, you swap. Um, and they were, I think I paid 320 quid each for them. Roughly, that's sort of order. And that's fine. And like I said, they're portable too. So. I suppose if Terry's thinking shooting in the winter and packing away in the summer, then, you know, that, that suits suits very well. And the reason I like these particular ones also is the fact that it goes back to my my photography of bug, bugs at the moment. I take them out with me as well and, and walk around with them on location and just give me a bit of flash when I when I want them. So and funny to add just to um, 
encourage Toyota to think about the option of LED lighting. I know he's, he's asking specifically about flash, but LED lights, if budget is tight, you can buy a light with what five, six hundred LEDs for about hundred quid each, less than that. If you mm -hmm. if you look around, there's plenty of manufacturers from China. And if you want to buy LEDs, you know, the, the beauty of those, of course, you you, you get what you see. Um, and it's, they're rather fun to use, they're low powered in, in terms of the heat output, so there's no issue there. Um, and they're very, very useful. And like I said, they, I mean, I'm lit by two right now. Right. Really quite useful lights. Ah, excellent. Oh, I didn't realise you were lighting yourself for us, Will. That's rather, that's rather grand. What are you lighting yourself up with, Kingsley? North facing that? wind. North facing window. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate softener. Oh, marvellous, marvellous. Well, there we go, Terry. I hope that I hope that answers your your question. So we'll 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 wrap up this probably lengthier than usual podcast with the uh, in the same way that we always wrap up a photography news podcast, and that is to get a Will's word of wisdom. So, Will. What well, have you got for us this time round? A very quick, simple one. Just to encourage our listeners and our readers to make sure that the camera and lenses firmware is up to date. Because if, if you're not up to date, you may not be the best out of your kit. Some manufacturers are very good updating their firmware. I mean, Fujifilm is one. They regularly update their firmware. And it can give your camera new features as well. And then, you know, get rid of some of the bugs that your camera might be suffering from. But it brings in new features. And I remember... Uh, which generation X camera it was from Fujifilm, but they brought in a whole new AF system onto existing cameras from, from their new cameras. Amazing. So regardless of brand you use, just go to the website, look down the support uh, features and, and make sure your camera's up to date with this firmware. And if it isn't, it's quite easy to do. Well, it depends on the, on the manufacturer. Some are more difficult than others. But just make sure your, your kit is fully up to date. It can be sometimes a little daunting, can't it, when you're updating your firmware because you can get some quite alarming messages on the back of your camera <laughs> at the point of which you're... But, I mean, I think we can probably all speak and say we've updated firmware and it's been OK. Or, Kingsley, are you going to, uh, are you going to contradict that? Well, no, I, I was going to chime in with what you've said in as far as, like, as soon as there's a message on the back of the camera that says, under no circumstances, turn your camera off now, then it's almost like your hand twitches towards the on-off switch in a kind of... In the way that, like, when yeah. standing on the edge of a tall building, you're kind of, like, almost sort of compelled to lean forward. I don't know. Well, I, guys, I don't know what messages you're getting, but the only one I, I see is the uh, make sure your battery is fully charged before you start doing the firmware update. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, absolutely. there are some there are some brands that are slightly more difficult to update in terms of their firmware. You might need certainly in some lens cases of lenses, you you might need special kit. But you know, generally speaking, it's fairly simple. You don't live on the edge like us, Will. That's what it is. I, th I think like the one thing that also I was reminded of was the the, the 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 slight level of disappointment sometimes that you can have when discovering what a new piece of firmware does, because you'll get a, like a message when you're saying that you know your your camera firmware has been you know there is an update and you're like oh wow what what does it increase the, its ability to do and then it's just some kind of like tiny thing and one of the things you see about that is that kind of like firmware is always kind of number dot number number. So like, you know, 1.20 or something. And it's like it's the numbers have diminishing return in terms of change. So like, mm. you know, going from 1.00 to 2.00 will have loads of important features. But going from 1.20 to 
two, one won't. You know, it'll be like some <laughs> tiny God, little thing that you can probably, you know, completely ignore. But I still update it anyway because I'm a freak like that, I suppose. Yeah. And to, just to prove how just how on the edge you and I are, Kingsley, I once updated my firmware without a fully charged battery. That's how. Uh, <laughs> and it still worked. It still worked, amazingly so. Yeah, good piece of advice there, Will. Definitely get your firmware updated for both camera and lenses. Lenses as well, they're often things that are overlooked, but uh, you can do the pair of them. So there we go. That beautifully wraps up this uh, latest episode. Our first in our 30s, so it's much more grown up and just generally more mature than it has been before. Um, so that just leaves me to say thank you to my two colleagues. First of all, Contributing editor and photographic artiste, Mr. Kingsley Singleton. <laughs> Thank you, Kingsley. I can't speak from the bin, from the 101 room 101 bin, but goodbye anyway. <laughs> we'll see you again soon. And thanks also to editor of Photography News and importer of uh, cheap, <laughs> cheap plastic tripods, Mr. Will Chung. Thanks, Will. Pleasure, Rog. Nice to see you, Kingsley. Take care, guys, listeners. We'll speak to you all again soon. Cheers now. Bye. This Photography News podcast is sponsored by MPB. Enjoy contact-free doorstep pickups which are safe, convenient, fully insured and completely free of charge. Plus, with a quarter of a million customers and five stars on Trustpilot, you can trust them and sleep easy.